Good morning. We are grateful for your presence this morning. It is wonderful to be together. If you have a copy of God's Word, whether it be digital or physical there in front of you, would you be turning to Exodus chapter 3? Exodus chapter 3, and we'll spend most of our time there this morning. We are grateful that you are here. We have some visitors in our midst. We don't have too many, I think, that have never visited before. Uh, lots of familiar faces, but we're thankful that you have come our way. Hope that you could spend the day with us as we'll have lunch here in just a few moments, or I guess brunch today. We've got breakfast food that many people have brought uh, to enjoy together, and then we'll have a 1.30 service. Uh, if you have your bulletin in front of you with outlines, you'll uh, notice I just left it open since we're still without the use of the screens, that if you like to make notes, you can follow along, but... Um, didn't put any blanks in there, but you'll also notice that this afternoon at 1.30 we'll be looking at the book of Amos. Uh, we've been on a study through each book of the Bible. We've been started in the Minor Prophets, and we'll be looking at Amos this afternoon if you'd like to be with us and be a part of that service. Thankful to Charles for his leading our singing, and Bob for his prayer, for Don and his leading our thoughts in the Lord's Supper. Uh, just a wonderful time of worship so far, and we look forward to the good study, continuing the good study that we've been going through. It's been about three weeks ago now that we started looking at a series on the names of God. God's names tell us about him. Previously, we had noted, it's been two weeks ago now, but we looked at the name Elohim, that he is the creator. We looked at the term Adonai, which means Lord. I'm going to ask you to hold on to that for just a moment. We'll come back there in just a second. We've also talked about the name El Elyon, that means the Most High God. This morning, the name we're going to talk about is an interesting one because we would first notice there's a few interesting concepts that go along with this name and the title of Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, one interesting thing to note about it is, is that we are not actually sure how to pronounce the Hebrew term or phrase that is found in the Bible there. You have, may have been familiar with this by hearing it from other sermons or other preachers, but there are actually four letters that are usually given. It's In our, of course, English language, it's Y-H-W-H. The four Hebrew uh, were, or letters that are used there, there are no vowels. There are only marks according to the Hebrew language. We sometimes refer to it as the tetragrammaton because of the four letters that are used there. Yod, He, Vav, He. But there are no vowels there. And so when it comes to not only the way it's written out, but the pronunciation, we don't actually know how to pronounce it. Because many, many years ago, at least some maybe two to 3,000 years ago, the Jews stopped saying that word because of the reverence that went along with it. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because they didn't want to transgress the commandment to take the name of the Lord God in vain. And so to do that, they stopped saying this word. Word. You know why that's interesting? Because today, we, people just say it all the time, right? That they say it sometimes in reverence or in respect or in worship or in singing, but often people just toss it out as an expletive, right? Or a euphemism, or that they just say OMG, or they say Jesus, or things like that. We just take the name of God or of Jesus and just throw it around all the time. But we don't know actually how to pronounce this word because that's how careful they were with it. In fact, if you look in your Bible, you'll see it here in Exodus 3. The first place it's used is actually before we read about it in Exodus 3 in Genesis chapter 2 in verse 4. But in your Bible, there's a good chance you may see the word Lord. 
all capitalized or maybe lowercase capital letters or lower capital letters, but you may see the word Lord there. That's the way this phrase is distinguished in most translations. If you happen to have in front of you a 1901 American Standard Version, I know of at least one person here who has one this morning, but if you have a 1901 ASV, they use the word Jehovah every time instead of Lord. But you may be familiar with this because as you look through your Bible, you'll see in many places all capital letters, Lord, and that is this name, Yahweh or Jehovah. The reason that you see Lord there is possibly because they would not say this Hebrew word. And so when they would read the Old Testament and they would come to this name, they would substitute in its place to not even get close to saying this most holy name of God, Yahweh. They would say Adonai. They would say Lord. We've already covered that, but that is a good chance of why you see the word Lord in your Bible. Now, here's the other thing. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, I told you that Elohim is the most used term, most used name for God in the Old Testament because it's used some 2,500 times. But the word Yahweh is used somewhere between 6,000 and 7,000 times. So which one is it? Which one's the most used? Well, here's the point. Some people debate as to whether the term Yahweh or Jehovah is the official, actual, proper name of God or whether or not it's just another description. You see, some people would say Yahweh, Jehovah is God's name, and then Elohim or Adonai or all these other things that we'll talk about are just descriptions. Some people say, well, it's just part of these descriptions. But either way, the Hebrew word that is used here means to be, T-O. To be. It implies that he is the self-existent one. When it comes to this Yahweh, to this Jehovah, the God of the Bible, the God of heaven, the creator of all things, he is the self-existent one. Now this morning, as we're going to try to learn about God, as we've been doing, learn about Jehovah, we're going to notice six things here from Exodus chapter 3. There are six words. They're all going to start with the letter P, if you're going to be making notes. But six things that we can learn about Yahweh, Jehovah, from Exodus chapter 3. Real quick, do you remember what's taking place here? Do you remember that in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses has come to back to Egypt He has been away, he's grown, and when he is in Egypt there in verse number 11, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And so he goes and he takes that Egyptian's life, he buries him in the sand, and then in verse 15, he has to flee when he finds out that someone knows what is taking place, what has taken place. Then he goes off and he's going to marry and he's going to begin working. And we come to chapter 3 and we see that he's tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And he led the flock back to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And it's there in verse number 2 that he meets an angel of the Lord that appears to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. This bush that is not consumed is on fire. And we're going to learn a little bit about Yahweh, about Jehovah God. Number one, we notice that Yahweh is personal. He is personal. Notice at the end of verse number three, 
that, or excuse me, in verse number two, that he looked and behold, the bush was burning, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And in verse four, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. You see, Yahweh is a personal God. He's personal in every aspect of what is about to take place here. He appears unto Moses directly to him. He calls him by name. And, of course, he's going to have this interaction with him, right? He's going to talk to him here. He's going to guide him through the ten plagues that are about to take place. But not only is he personal to Moses, he's also personal to Israel. Think about Israel here, learning about God or seeing God here interact in these ways, seeing what he's going to do through the ten plagues. But not only is he personal to Moses and to Israel, but even thirdly, he's personal to even Pharaoh. Right, Pharaoh is going to have this interaction with God, with Moses and with Aaron. And each time he's going to say, in essence, if not with his own words, certainly with his actions, I don't recognize this God. I don't recognize who he is. But it's going to be personal. It's going to get real personal, isn't it? As these plagues are going to come about, even the tenth plague. But Yahweh is personal. And you know what? He's still personal today. How often do we like to quote the 23rd Psalm? Psalm 23 and verse 1, do you say it? The Lord is my shepherd. If you say it, do you mean it? That he truly is your shepherd. You know, the writings of the New Testament were meant for a specific group of people. And oftentimes when Paul or others would write, they say you. And that you should be understood as all of us, as Christians who are trying to follow God. But can you insert yourself there? If you have your Bibles, maybe you want to put your hand there or marker and turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12. Before, as you're turning there, you know John 3, 16. Could you insert your name there? For God so loved, what does it say? The world. But could you say, for God so loved Joel? For God so loved Don? For God so loved me that he sent his only begotten son. 1 Thessalonians 2, 12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you, who hath called Jerry, who hath called Charles unto his kingdom and glory. We, it's personal for us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14, whereunto he called you. Again, insert your name there. Whereunto he called you by our gospel. You see, Jehovah is still personal today. For God so loved, yes, even me, that he sent his only begotten son. It's going to get real here in just a few minutes, in the few pages ahead for Moses, for Israel, for Pharaoh. But that's because Yahweh is a personal God. Number two, Yahweh is particular. He's particular. Notice verses 5 and 6 back in Exodus chapter 3. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. 
It was holy ground, not because of the dirt, right? Not because of that particular bush. We're not commanded today to go and visit that site because it is actually physically holy dirt. It was holy ground because God was there. And he is anything but ordinary. If you want to step into God's holy presence, you must first step into humility. Think about what it says there about Moses in verse 6. He hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. I'm afraid to many in our society today, they feel like it wouldn't be a big thing, right? They feel like God owes them something. They should be able to approach him however they want. It's about whatever I need. God should be doing what I think that he should be doing. But Moses has the right attitude. The attitude that we should have as Christians that if we want to come into the presence of God, it should be done with all humility. Jehovah, Yahweh dictates the terms by which we come into his presence. It's not backwards. It's not vice versa. Many people today, when it comes to the worship assembly, decide to do whatever they think is best, whatever pleases them. But Jehovah dictates those terms. Just like he says in John chapter 8 and verse 24, if you do not believe that I am, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You must believe. Jesus says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. How dare we try to turn it around and say something different? Jehovah dictates the terms, not us. Jehovah Yahweh is a particular God. He was in that moment with Moses and he is with us as well. It's not a bad thing. It's the way that he is. And we humble ourselves and submit to him. And we're able to come into his presence. We're able to worship him. We're able to be called a child of his. Number three, Yahweh is present. He is present. The Lord says there in verse number seven, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their task max, task. Masters, for I know their sorrows. Three good words to underline in your Bible if you like to. Jehovah God says that I see, I have heard, and I know. If you're open there, go back to chapter 2 and verse 23 and notice that it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. You see, Israel thought that God had forgotten, but he hadn't. He was present and he was working. He is faithful even when we are faithless. He is faithful even when we are faithless. We see that, of course, borne out even in Paul's writings. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, for God is faithful. He was right there all along, simply waiting for them to see the need for him. You know, we often sing the song, as the deer. As the deer pants for the water, what? So my soul longeth after you. But do we? Do we? Because so many times during our week, myself included sometimes, we get busy chasing everything else, worried about everything else. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Is it possible 
that God sometimes allows our circumstances to bring us to the point where we have nowhere to turn but, but to him. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever been in that kind of moment in your life that you didn't know where else to go? Hopefully you turned to God. So many people turn away to other things. They get caught up in so many other things. They reach out to alcohol. They reach out to drugs. They reach out to other sexual relationships or other people to try to fill that void. We should be yearning and longing for him. The children of Israel thought God had forgotten, but he was present. He was right there all along. And when called upon, he says, I have heard, I have seen, I know. Can I tell you this morning that no matter where you stand or where you sit or whatever is going on in your life that God sees, he hears, and he knows. We want him to be right here. We want him to be sitting next to us in order to tell us things and to comfort us. But he has. He says, I see, I hear, I know. Yahweh is Yahweh because he's present. Jehovah God is ever present for us. Even though they were at the lowest of lows, he was still present. So not only is he personal and particular, but he's present. Number four, Yahweh is purposeful. Purposeful. And number 10, excuse me, verse number 10, he says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. See, God had a purpose. He had a purpose for Moses, even though Moses didn't like it, right? Verse 11 comes right after verse number 10 where Moses says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, not me, excuse me, surely you don't mean me. God had a purpose for Moses. God had a purpose for Israel. God had a purpose for Pharaoh. Do you want to challenge yourself this week? I've got homework I'll give you in just a minute. But do you want to challenge yourself? Do a study. Think about Pharaoh and his hard heart. Think about what he was going through and how God used him. Some people come up with a lot of tough questions sometimes to think about how God was using Pharaoh. But God is purposeful. Yahweh is purposeful. He had a purpose for Moses. Moses is saying, it ain't me. Do you know my skills? Have you seen my resume? It's not me that you want. But God had a purpose for Moses. He had a purpose for what Israel was going to do. And yes, he had a purpose for even Pharaoh. Today, God still has a purpose for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Have you ever asked the question, why am I here? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? What's my purpose? Paul tells you right here, Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What about John 17 and verse 22? And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them that they may be one. What's your purpose? Purpose is to show the world that we are unified with God the Father and Jesus the Son. That unity shows forth God's glory. Why am I here? What is God's purpose for me? So that I can bring glory to God in all that I do. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, the wise man would say, Fear God and keep his commandments. God has a purpose for us. Some days it seems maybe mundane. Some days it's more difficult. 
But God has a purpose for us, and it is to serve Him. It is to bring glory unto Him. Can you do that when you go to the gymnasium? Can you do that when you go to the ball field? Can you do that when you go to the store? Can you do that when you go to your desk? Can you do that when you exit those doors in just a few moments? You can. Yahweh is purposeful. Number five, Yahweh is patient. Yahweh is patient, beginning in verse number 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Let's put a pen there for just a moment. Yahweh is patient. Because what does Moses begin to do? The same thing you and I do. He begins to make excuses. He begins to make excuses, but God is patient. You know, God could have said, hey, you know what? You missed your chance. I'm sorry. Back there in chapter 2, when you killed the Egyptian, you had an opportunity to lead my people, but I'm sorry. You missed your chance. You're out of luck. Moses begins to make excuses, but God is patient. We talked in our young adult and college age class just a few moments ago about faithful living what does that look like for our young people what does it look like for these young adults it's really a question for all of us what does it look like for parents what does it look like for for all of us well number one we can't make excuses we cannot make excuses of why we can't be here on sunday or sunday afternoon or wednesday night we can't make excuses for why we can't attend the bible studies and the other things that we have going on we can't make excuses for why we can't serve but even when we do Yahweh is patient. You know, God has given us free moral agency, but he still expects obedience. God still expects obedience. John chapter 14 and verse 15, If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. The world wants to make it about relationships. The world wants to make it about love. The world wants to make it about doing whatever we want to do. But Jesus says, there are rules, and if you love me, you will keep those rules. You will obey my commandments. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, he makes that grand statement, that troublesome statement, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. There is obedience that is still necessary. But, but aren't you glad that God is patient? I know I am. Because as much as I try, I'm not perfect. As much as I try, I'm not ever going to be perfect. As much as I try, I still stand in need of humbling myself before God. For saying I'm sorry and I was wrong. For humbling myself before Him and thanking Him for His patience. You know 1 John chapter 1. We usually begin in verse number 7. We go through chapter 2 sometimes. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say, chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I write these things unto you that ye sin not, but. But the beautiful part of all of that is that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, we can say, you know, as people pick out their favorite verses, so many say John 3, 16, so many say the 23rd Psalm or, or other things, and that's fine. I, I'm not here to tell you those are bad. Has anyone ever said 1 John 1, 7 through chapter 2, verse 1? I like it. I appreciate it because I remember that if I'm walking in the light, as he is in the light, then I have fellowship with the Father. The blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses my sin. I don't have to be perfect. Because I can't be perfect. And when I do sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Yahweh is patient. He's patient. Have you lost your patience with anybody over the course of the last week? I know I have. And every time I do, I sometimes feel a little bad about it. I realize that's not the way that I should act. And I'm thankful for a Jehovah, God, a Yahweh, who is patient with me. Sixth and finally this morning, Yahweh is powerful. See, Moses begins to make excuses. And not only that, but in verse 13, he says, well, what am I going to say? What am I going to tell them? Who am I going to say sent me? And this is, one, this is one I've got circled or highlighted or underlined. I don't know if you do. But where we meet the name of God here, where God says to Moses, you can say to them, that I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, verse 15, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. You know, we do this sometimes, right? We don't get to do it very often like at school or at work, but we certainly get to do it with our children if you've had children, right? But why do I have to do it? But why do I have to obey you? And very often the answer is simply, well, because I am. Because I'm your parent. Because I'm the one in charge. I'm the one who tells you what to do because I am. And when God here says to Moses, I am who I am. Again, the Bible that I'm using in particular here has it. It's a New King James Version from one particular publisher, but all capital letters. I am who I am. This name that we can't even pronounce because they wouldn't say it for fear of taking the name of the Lord in vain. Yahweh, Jehovah, He is the Lord of all. He is the supreme creator. He is the self-existent one. We said it the first week we began this study, but He simply is. That's kind of hard for us, right? Because we think in terms of what has happened. We think about things that have happened to us. We think about things that will happen. We say, I'm going to do this. I want to accomplish this. He's none of that because he simply is. And he's all of that at the same time. He has an unchanging character. Nothing about him is past tense. See, some of you this morning would say, well, I was an addict. I was a liar. I was something, but I became something else. There's nothing about God and his character that is past tense. 
We may say, well, I used to be this. I used to do that to describe our changed state. But he is changeless. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. Once again, we sometimes sing the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. But do we really believe it? And here's the other side of that. Do we really live it? Do we really live it out? Like he has the whole world in his hands. Like he is in control of everything. Like he is powerful. The question sometimes for us is, is your God in a box? Because that's what we do. We try to box him in. We say, well, he couldn't do that. He's not powerful enough to accomplish that. He can't change me. He can't forgive me. We put him in a box, but Jehovah cannot be boxed in. In fact, I promise you some homework, and here it is. If you want some homework for the week, begin in chapter 4 and read for the next several chapters until you get over to chapter 12 or chapter 13, and you get through all ten plagues. You may have a Bible reading plan of your own, that's fine. Just a challenge for you to think about this. Yahweh is powerful. How do we know that? Just keep reading. That's so often the answer to our questions. How do we know this? How do we know that? Just keep reading. How do we know he is powerful? Because of what we're about to see. I don't think I can begin to explain it to you. I don't think I can begin to imagine. But I can tell you this, it was powerful. Some of you may have been to the Ark before up in Kentucky or the Creation Museum. The Ark in particular, I saw this again the other day on their social media, uh, on their Facebook page. But they've got a whole section there in the Ark that talks about how often we take the story of the flood and we make it all of these smiling, nice creatures and this rainbow and this nice blue sky. And really, we're doing an injustice to our children because then they think that the ark was this beautiful thing that occurred and it was this wonderful picture and it makes for nice children books, right? We teach our kids about this great story when in reality, almost the entire bit of humanity was wiped off the face of the earth. When in reality, there was lots of sin leading up into the great flood. In reality, there were people who were going to drown and there was a lot of death that took place and it's a good story it's a powerful story but it's not exactly a feel-good happy story sometimes we teach our children about the 10 plagues and it's fine it's a good thing to memorize there's nothing wrong with it but there was some death there was some destruction and there was a Yahweh Jehovah God who was behind it all Yahweh is the eternally self-existent one like Israel we are left to be utterly dependent upon Jehovah for everything. You see, some people see God as a policeman, right? Some people see God as this resident policeman who's out to bust them for every bit of bad behavior that they go through. That's the way some people see God. Just watching out, he's always going to catch me and that, like the police, and I'm going to get in trouble. Some people see God as a grand old man, a grandfather type who just kind of winks at you when you do wrong sometimes, right? Some people see God as a, a holy vending machine, if you will, just wanting to pull out whatever they want. Let's see, I want holiness right now, so I'll push the button for holiness. Or I want salvation right now, so I'll push that button for salvation. But God, Yahweh, tells us that he is personal, he is particular, he's present, he's purposeful, he's patient, and he's powerful. There is no other like him. If you want hope beyond this life, it is only in Yahweh. 
In Isaiah chapter 42 in verse 8, God says, I am the, that's our word, Lord. I am Jehovah. I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to any other, nor my praise to any carved image. He is Yahweh. He is God. This morning we're about to sing a song of invitation to conclude our lesson. We sing this song of invitation to ask you to submit your life to Jehovah God. We don't do it the way they did when they were the children of Israel. We don't do it the way they did in the Old Testament. But we need to submit to him. It's only through obedience that we can be made whole. That we can have our sins washed away. That washing away, of course, comes by the blood of Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, why not? Why not submit to him in humble obedience? Have your sins cleansed by the blood of Christ? You come in contact with that, of course, in baptism. It's not the removal of filth of the flesh, though you are buried in water, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's submitting to him so that he can add you to his church. Maybe you're here this morning and you've done that, but you've wandered away. You've struggled in sin. You say to yourself, you know, I'm not right with God. There's something that's amiss. There's sin separating me from him. I don't feel close to Jehovah because there's something wrong in my life. You can say it to yourself, certainly there in the pew. You can pray to God for forgiveness, and he will do that. You can come forward in just a moment. One of our elders will be here at the front to, to meet with you, to talk with you. But that doesn't, it's not as far as it goes. You have a whole body of people that would love to pray with you and for you, to encourage you to be better, to encourage you to do what's right. Maybe you're here and you're struggling and you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're thankful for this opportunity to submit ourselves to Jehovah God, even now as we stand together and as we sing.